Happy Wednesday, everybody. Man, what a great night. Um, hey, if, uh, if you've never been here before, welcome to Bell Shoals. This is a great place to be on a Wednesday night. Um, if this is your first time, you probably don't know that we're walking through a series right now called Broken Saviors. Who has been here the last couple of weeks? Raise your hand. All right. So you're doing great. You kind of are caught up. Um, so I'm going to give you kind of a chance to catch up, those of you who have not been here. Um, and, uh, and then we're going to kind of keep on moving through uh, this series. So here's the game plan. There is this group called the Israelites in the Bible that maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't heard of. But all throughout history, they are the people that God has chosen in which Jesus is going to come forth and save the world. It's great. The problem is, is that the Israelites are probably a lot like you and I. There's probably times in your life where you've continued to move forward, move forward, but then you probably kind of shoot yourself in the foot, right? Has anyone ever done that before where you just like, you kind of feel yourself going in the right direction, all of a sudden you kind of mess up, but it was 100% your fault, right? Anybody? Just a couple of us? So like over and over again. The Israelites would find themselves in the center of God's will, and it's great, but then something would happen, they would rebel. They would say, you know what, God, this is great. I'm super excited that we get a chance to be here. Um, However, what they have over there sounds great, so I'm just going to go and engage in that. So they would go into these other civilizations, and they would adopt their gods. They would adopt their ways of living. They would kind of neglect God, you know, the guy who provided for them. And what happens is God would say, okay, you know what? You want to go ahead and rebel, do it, and you're going to live in captivity. So God would raise up some type of national power. They would come in, take over Israel, bring them all captives, and then they would live in oppression for a certain amount of time. Well, of course, as they're living in oppression, what they're dealing with it, what they're what they're doing is then crying out to God, God, please, okay, we're just kidding for real this time. You ever had that conversation with your parents? It's like the same thing that they get onto you every single time. And then you're like, at the end of it, you're like, all right, for real this time, I've got it figured out. Well, they would do that. They'd cry out to God, God, deliver us from this. And God would send what we would call a judge. Now, a judge is essentially a military leader, some kind of of guy who's doing uh, an incredible thing or girl. And so there's this, uh, what we've walked through is these last three weeks or two weeks, walked to a guy named Ehud. Now, Ehud was a lefty. Any lefties? All right. Righties, raise your hands. All right. Now, uh, anybody can do both, right and left. If you can do right and left, that's called being amphibious. So that's really good. Those of you that can do that, um, you say it different. You say ambidextrous, it's amphibious. Trust me. Google it. So Ehud was a left-handed man. It was great because he used it to his advantage. Do you remember that story? It's kind of graphic, am I right? The man comes in, is a big old fat dude. That was the king, King Eglon. Ehud comes in, delivers a message from the Lord, and puts this blade into this man's fat to where it just completely disappeared. He died. He pooped himself. All the rest. It's a great story. Check it out, Judges chapter 3. And then last week, uh, we learned about a, a woman named Deborah who was awesome. That was a little graphic too. There was a little bit of a... A tent peg in the side of the head kind of thing. Um, And all all, all along the way, all these people we've already talked about, it's the same story. Every single time. You would think the Israelites would get the picture, but they don't. Well, today, it's no different. 
We're talking about the man, the myth, the legend, a man named Jesus. No, that's a good answer, whoever said that. Samson. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. Now here's the deal. I'm sure if you've grown up in church for any length of time, you've probably colored a picture of Samson, right? And you know Samson's this potentially this big, kind of buff, good-looking, like, you know anybody like that, right? Am I right? Like, if you're trying to color pictures, just picture this right here. You pretty much have a good idea of who Samson is, right? But the problem with Samson wasn't necessarily his strength or his accolades or his giftings. The problem with Samson was that he was his own worst enemy. He was his own worst enemy. He'd always sabotage himself because of his own desires. And we'll, we'll understand that as we move through the story. Now, I know there's people in this room that would probably consider yourself your own worst enemy. The person who's probably the biggest threat to you experiencing the kingdom of God or you pursuing who God has called you to be, the person who's your biggest threat is sometimes yourself. Now, I've done lots of dumb things in my life over the years, um, and, uh, and I'm sure you're no different. Um, I'm about to share a time with you when I, I did something uh, wrong, but I, I need you to raise your right hand for just a second. I need you to repeat after me. I want you to say, I... State your name. No, don't say state your name. You state your actual name. Stop. I state your name. That was more people that time. You're the worst. Promise to not do what Lewis is about to explain to me that he did. All right. So I had great friends. Great, great friends growing up. There's a group of guys that I would spend all my time with. It was probably an unhealthy amount of time. Um, and kind of where my house was, there was like, you could like hop a fence and end up in a different neighborhood. And so we would do this thing, it was the three of us, where we would uh, run up to houses. You've never heard this before, so I know this is a brand new idea. We would, we would ring the doorbell, and then we would sprint away. And for some reason, in our very tiny minds, very tiny minds, we thought this was the greatest thing on the planet. It was so dumb. We'd walk up to houses, ring the doorbell, we'd run away, dying laughing. It was the most funniest thing ever, right? So my, my friends were kind of more brave than I was. They were, they were the ones that kind of initiate those kinds of things. I, I really wasn't that way. I was more of a follower. And so them two went first. I, one of them took a house, the other one took the other house, and we're all kind of like, you know, hiding in the bushes, like, <laughs> and then like, they run up there, they ring the doorbell, we sprint away, and it's fantastic. Well, now it's my turn, and there's a big old house, like, it was, it was big. So it's like, you know how when you like, get to do something, and you kind of start to get a little nervous, right? Maybe it's like right before you get on a roller coaster, or right before you like, do a presentation at school, right? You get kind of nervous, and you kind of like... You kind of have to, like, use the bathroom. You know what I mean? You ever done that before? So, so here's what I did. I thought in my mind, I was like, here's what I'm going to do. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of bushes around. Uh, my friends are hiding over behind this bush. 
So we haven't rung the doorbell yet. So before I ring the doorbell, like, I'm just going to go, like, kind of handle, <laughs> handle my business over here, right? There's a bush. So as I was taking care of business, what I didn't know was that <laughs> one of my friends had rang the doorbell. And so, like, I, I wasn't far from the door. Like, it was probably, like, like probably front row area. So I did not know this. They're dying laughing behind this bush. I am very much in front of this bush. And uh, the, the porch lights come on. And I, like, and this woman walks out the door, clearly surprised at what she's watching. And I'm like, uh, and, like, what do you do? Right? You can't just stop. Right? That's even worse. So I had to just <laughs> jump in the bush. Like, I didn't know what to do, so I just jumped in the bush. Obviously, my time was done, ding-dong ditching. I never would have done it again. She screamed, called the police. It was a whole ordeal. My parents found out. My mom's a Cuban woman, so she obviously beat me that night. Like, it was a whole ordeal. Like, those were my best friends, and they did that to me, and I have not talked to them. Actually, I do still talk to them. They're great guys. So, like, what's hard is that in the moment, you start to think, like, okay, well, whose fault was that? Well, that was my friend's fault, right? You're not supposed to do that. That's not part of the, the, the plan. You can't go ding-dong when I'm still trying to handle some stuff, right? Is it their fault? Was it that lady's fault? No, she's probably somewhere, like, telling that story. There was this one time with this kid. Like, whose fault was it that I was in that situation? My own dumb fault for standing in that bush and then eventually jumping into that bush. So before anything I can do, before I can do anything about blaming other people, what I have to realize is that I was the reason that I was put in that position. And sometimes in our own lives, we start to look around at our circumstances and we start looking at consequences that we're facing. And we start to look around and say, Who, who's at fault here? Is it my parents? Is it my friends? Is it my environment, the way I grew up? The reality is there are lots of times when we are put in positions because of our own selves. This is the story of Samson. So we're going to walk through kind of who Samson is, some of the highlights of his story, and then we're going to make some application points in the end. So here's what we're looking at. Judges chapter 13. All right, are you there? If you're there, say I'm there. Okay, listen, today, tonight, tonight, I don't know if you brought your Bible. I hope you did. But listen, tonight is a really good day to have your Bible out. So if you don't have a physical Bible, get your phone out because we're going to be working through three different chapters. And so, like, follow with me along the way. It's going to help for you to actually see it yourself. If in your mind you're just like, whatever, I'll just kind of listen to it, I promise it will be a little bit more difficult for you to engage. Grab a Bible, get your phone out, only the Bible app. If you're playing games, you're not going to get anything out of it. I can't control you. That's between you and the Lord. Get your Bibles, Judges chapter 13. Here we go. What is the first line in Judges chapter 13? And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Here we go again. 
Over and over again we see this, right? So we've got now the people of Israel working through their sin in their rebellion. And so what God does is he sends, he sends this judge, all right? So check this out. Check out verse 3. The angel of the Lord appeared to a woman, her name was Manoah, and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful, drink no wine or strong drink, eat anything unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. So a Nazarite was somebody who had a special calling, a special blessing given to them by God, but there were some stipulations. There were three things that Samson was not able to do because he was a Nazarite. What were they? Anybody? You can't cut your hair. Got to keep it long, right? You can't drink any wine. What's the third thing? Can't touch anything dead. No dead carcass, whatever. Can't touch anything dead, okay? So here are the stipulations. Now, here's what the Bible says at the end of verse 5. The angel is telling them this is what's going to happen. And the Bible says this, And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. God is setting this up to where Samson is essentially put on this earth to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. This is great. This is great news. Finally, we've been oppressed. We've been crying out to God. Here's God's answer. Someone is going to deliver us from there. So there's some more narrative within that chapter that we're not going to get into tonight. But it's essentially this incredible way that they're thanking the angel, thanking God because Manoah, Samson's mother, was barren, meaning she could not have kids. So this was a miracle child that God had gifted to this couple and have now said this man is going to come and deliver Israel. Check out verse 24 of that same chapter, verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 24. And the woman bore a son, called his name Samson, and the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. The spirit of the Lord began to stir him in between Zorah and Eshtael. Now, what's interesting is that it said, and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. I want you to remember that statement. So then we kind of fast forward, right? We fast forward through some of maybe his teenage years, and we kind of get to the point where he's about to get married. Here's what the Bible says, verse 14, chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, that's interesting, because who's oppressing them? The Philistines. Fantastic. Verse 2. Then he came up, he told his father and mother, I saw one of those daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. <laughs> now, get her for me as a wife. Guys, real quick. What if it worked that way? Guys, what if you were just walking in Walmart? Well, maybe not Walmart. What if you were walking in Target or whatever, and you just you see a girl and you're just like, hey, mom, could you get that one for me? Like, 
Could you imagine if that's how it worked? This is how it worked. So Samson already, already is going off the rails because he is not supposed to pick somebody who is a Philistine. He's supposed to pick somebody that is an Israelite, a Jew, someone of his own people. And so his parents go, go back and forth and they say, hey, listen, like, uh, why, why, don't we, why don't we pick somebody, you know, from our own people, right? Well, check this out. Verse 3, a little ways down from verse 3, it says, but Samson said to his father, even though his father get him to, to not think about this, Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in what? My eyes. Okay, God has chosen this man to deliver Israel, has given him supernatural strength, and now Samson is now pursuing something for his own pleasure. There might be a theme coming out. So here's what happens. Verse 5, Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came towards him roaring. Verse 6, then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. What rushed upon him? The spirit of the Lord, thank you. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. You know, what you do with goats, right? This is interesting. Lion pops up out of nowhere. Samson, in his great strength, tore a lion to, to pieces. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it looks like. The Bible tries to help us out to kind of give us a picture. Oh, you know, like one tears a young goat. Um, anybody torn a goat before? No chance. Don't lie to me. This is church. You've not torn a goat. Don't lie in church. It's a double sin. All right, listen. So he, he just randomly, this lion comes up. He tears it up just like he would a young goat. But check it out. He didn't tell his father or his mother what he had done. He went down and talked with the woman, right? We're talking about this woman again. And she was right in Samson's eyes. So the parents say, hey, let's not do this. He says, yeah, we're going to go ahead and go for it. It's right in my eyes. He's walking around to go try and pursue this woman. And then all of a sudden a lion comes, rips it apart, and then makes contact with the woman and says, yep, I was right. She is right in my own eyes. Verse 8, check this out. After some days, he returned to take her. <laughs> That's crazy. He turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. Real quick, let's recap. What is he not allowed to do? Touch a dead thing. Here we go. Verse 9, he scraped it into his hands and went on eating as he went. He's talking about this honey. He came to his father and mother, gave them some, and they ate, but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of a lion. He's already pursuing a woman he shouldn't because it was right in his own eyes. He's now breaking his vow to touch a dead animal in order to get honey for who? Himself, because he wanted it. He's already continuing to disobey the plan that God had set forth. So then, here's what happens. The father throws this giant party 
in order to celebrate the marriage between Samson and this Philistine woman. Now, what happens at parties sometimes? Not good things. Yes, gold star. Um, At these parties, what they would do is they would have a lot of wine. Recap, what are we not supposed to do? Dead animal, wine. We've only got one thing left already. We just started. So there's wine at this party. It's this big old ordeal. He shouldn't be engaging in this, and yet still for some reason he's in it. So there's a bunch of people coming in. There's companions. They're all in here. Verse 12, Samson said to these people that were guests, let me put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what the riddle is within seven days of the feast and find it out, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. Now listen, I know it doesn't sound like you want 30 changes of clothes, but this was good stuff. This was like the the best, this is like Lululemon clothes, if that's the thing. Is that it? Is that Target brand clothes? No? It's great clothes. Whatever your favorite clothes are, these are the clothes, right? So... He said, I'm going to tell you a riddle. If you can get it at the end of this feast, which is happening in 40 days, or in seven days, 40 days. If you can tell me the answer to this, I'm going to give this to you. If you can't, you're going to give it to me. All right? So here's the riddle. Out of the eater comes something to eat. Out of the strong comes something sweet. It's kind of cool. All right? Well, now these people are ticked because they're like, well, what are we going to do? We don't know, and we don't want to pay up changes of clothes, even though we agreed to this. So what do they do? Verse 15, on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Okay. That took a turn, right? Lest we burn you in your father's house of fire. I need to know the answer to this riddle or I will burn your life down. That's aggressive, but that's what they said. So they start putting it on this woman. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? So here's what Samson's wife did. Wept over him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. Some of you, I'm reading your text messages right now. It's weird. You only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. He said to her, behold, I've not even told my father or my mother. I'm going to tell you, please. Verse 17, she wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. She wept for seven days. She was committed or dramatic. (laughs) So then he told her because she pressed him. That's it. That's all it took. She's pressed him. She told him the riddle. He told her the riddle. She told the riddle to the people. The men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what's sweeter than honey and stronger than a lion? That was the answer to the riddle. Well, now he's ticked. Samson's ticked because he knows what happened. So here's what Samson said. He said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Guys, can we come back first just for a second? Guys, real quick. I don't know what kind of relationship advice you need right now, but I'm going to let you know 
don't call her a heifer. Can we just, can we just agree to that? I don't think it's going to go great. I think it's going to go very badly. Don't call her a heifer. If that's all you leave with tonight, I'm sorry. He said, if you have not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. All right, check this out. Verse 19. This is really important. Check out what this says. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. He went down. He struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil. He gave their garments to those who had told the riddle. And in hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. The drama. Samson's life is full of drama. You thought high schoolers were worth Like, this is next level. Some of you are <laughs> taking this example of the drama and putting it in your own life. I would recommend you not do that. So, Samson again is so upset. Whose fault was it that they knew the answer to the riddle? Right? No, it's Samson. <laughs> Guys, you're not catching this pattern. This is Samson's fault for even entertaining the thought of having a riddle in the first place and then telling his wife. So you see him over and over again compromising so that he can be himself, choose what he wants to do in himself. So here's what happens. He gets mad, and here's what he does. Check out verse 4 of chapter 15. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes, took torches, turned them tail to tail, put a torch in between each pair of tails, set them on fire, and let the foxes go running into the standing grain of the Philistines, of the Philistines, what? Of the Philistines, and set fire to the stacked grain. So my man grabs 300 foxes, don't even know what that looks like, ties them tail to tail, no idea what that would have looked like, puts a torch in between pairs of tails, sets them all on fire, and releases them into their grains to pretty much wipe out the Philistines' harvest. Aggressive, but I get it. So Samson... His consequence was that they got the riddle and he had to give them clothes. His response to that consequence was that he was going to get rid of all of their food. It doesn't make sense, but yet Samson, again, only cares about himself. So here's what happens. He starts picking a fight with the Philistines. Now the Philistines are, are ticked. And they're saying, you know what we're going to do? We're going to band together, create a bunch of people, a big army, and we're going to just attack Judah. We're going to attack Judah. We're getting rid of it. Well, if you're the Israelites, you're not a part of this fight at all. So what are you thinking? Dude, chill, right? You're looking at Samson like, dude, you've got to calm down. Because we're the ones that are going to experience it. So they go to Samson and basically say, they say, listen, Samson, to be honest with you, this is too much. I ne we need you to turn yourself in. We need you to turn yourself in. So... He goes ahead and he does this. You'll see this in verse 5, chapter 15, verse 11. The Bible says this. And 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock and said to Samson, don't you know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? 
He said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. Basically, they started it. He's a child. So he, saw, he said, go ahead and turn me in. They tied him up. They tied his hands, delivered him over to the Philistines. Verse 14 of chapter 15. When he came to Lehi, where the Philistines were, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Check this out. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, put it out and put out his hand and took it. With it he struck 1,000 men. I don't know what your favorite fight scene in a movie is, but that had to be really cool, right? With the jawbone of a donkey, Samson's just tearing people up. A thousand people at once. Verse 18. He gets to a place. He's tired. He's just killed all these um, Philistines. And then he looks at God, verse 18, he was very thirsty, called upon the Lord and said, uh, you've granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. Now, now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of them? Listen, he just got all this strength to take out all these Philistines. And now he's looking at God and being like, well, I'm thirsty. What, are you going to kill me now? Guys, Samson is, he's ridiculous. This doesn't make any sense that one man would have this little understanding of the God who has given him the ability to deliver Israel from the hands of oppression. And what is he doing with it? Have you heard anything good yet? No, nothing yet. He's taken out some of the Philistines but doing it in a way that only benefits himself. And that's not even the popular story of Samson. Who comes along in Samson's life? There's a girl, her name is Delilah. What a name. And we're not going to dive into the entire story of this because if you don't know, it's, it's pretty intense. Basically, I'm going to summarize it for you for the sake of time. Basically, he marries this woman named Delilah. She's also a Philistine woman. And basically, the, the Philistines start coming to Delilah and say, hey, listen, we need to know what the secret of his strength is. So she goes to Samson and is like, hey, what's the secret of your strength? And what's Samson do? As she pressed him, he said, oh, uh, all you got to do is you got to bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried. If you do that, I lose all my strength. So what does she do? He goes to sleep. She binds him, calls the Philistines in and tells them, Samson, the Philistines are coming. Well, what does he do? He breaks out, kills them. Then again, she's like, seriously, can you tell me what it is? He says, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall lose my strength. She binds them up in those new ropes, calls the Philistines in. What happens? Samson, the Philistines are coming. He breaks out, kills them. What, what, what is going on in Samson's mind? Don't you think after the second or third time, he's like, wait a second. She's up to something. Well, he doesn't because all he cares about is himself. Finally. This is what verse 16 says of chapter 16. Take a look at this in your Bible. When she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. He, to he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor shall never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. 
If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak like any other man. The fifth time, finally, he tells her the truth. He's already drank wine. He's already touched dead animals. Now he has given her the ability to cut his hair. You talk about potential in one single human being. Because of what God has given to him, has had the opportunity to deliver an entire people out of oppression. And yet decision after decision is to throw it all away for his own pleasure. And before we start to look at Samson and say, man, that, that guy, like seriously, this guy? The reality is, is that these are things that we do each and every day. Do you know that God has created you with a purpose? Do you know that God has uniquely gifted each and every one of you in this room? And it's not the same gift. Every person in here has different gifts from others. This is actually how the church functions. I have a different gift than you, but that's not to say that mine is any better than yours. It's to say that God has uniquely gifted me, he's uniquely gifted you, and now we get to together work in the church or some type of ministry aspect so that we can edify the church, build up the church. So that when people come in here, they find a place where there's biblical community, people loving on each other, bearing one another's burdens. But what happens is, is when any one of us say, hey, thanks God for that gift, don't need it. Don't care. Or I'm going to use that gift to please myself instead of build up the church, instead of encouraging one another, instead of helping people, the people of God, understand who God's called them to be. We do that every time we disengage from the things God's called us to. So before we look at Samson with judgmental eyes, we have to recognize that we do this all the time. So think right now. How has God gifted you? What are some passions that you have in your life? Who are some people that you just have a heart for to serve, to help, to love on, to encourage? And maybe, maybe there's not any. Maybe in your mind you've never thought about that. Maybe you're thinking, like, to be honest, I don't know how God can even use me. The reality is, is that none of us are good enough. But that is why God sent his son to die for us so that we can be in a position to have a relationship with God, and then be used for God, by God, to help his people. Samson did not understand this. Samson used all of his gifts for himself and to please himself. So here's what happens. Samson's captured. Check this out. Verse 21, the Philistines seized him gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. Samson's at the lowest of the low. What they would have done is they would have taken a hot piece of metal, heated it up as hot as it can get. They would have put it in each of his eyes and singed it until it was completely dead tissue. And then they would have grabbed some type of spoon and scraped out whatever remnants were in his eye. This wasn't just a boop. <laughs> this is far more significant. He will never see again. These are the consequences. 
So they gouge out his eyes. They put him in a mill, which is to say that he's pushing around this giant concrete structure in order to grind up their harvest so that they can make food. So he is forever a prisoner, bound, the lowest of the low that Samson could ever be. Check out verse 22. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Something was happening. The hair on his head started to grow back. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, well, if, if he's got some hair on his head, then he must be strong because it was the hair, right? Well, let's check this out. Verse 28. Actually, I'm sorry. We're going to go verse 24. The people saw him. They praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand. The ravager of our country who has killed many of us. Verse 25. When their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars, which would have been at the center of the temple. Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now when the house was full of men and women, all the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Verse 28. Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Still missing the point. Samson, Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other, and it's Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So dead whom he had killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Guys, at the lowest of the low, Samson found himself with one final act of strength, and it was to wipe out the Philistines. Who was the one who gave him that strength? It was God. So even from the beginning, we see God being the one who strengthens Samson. Here, I want, I want us to work through three different things that we can say to ourselves that would be really helpful for us. I want you, I'm going to say this, and then you're going to repeat after me. You ready? Here's the first thing. I am not as strong as I think. Now listen. This is really important. I need you to understand this truth. We are all faced with temptation. We are all faced with, with ideas and things that are going to pull us away from God's plan for us. And the moment we start to think, you know what, I can handle that. Yeah, I can stop whenever I wanted. Yeah, that's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I can spend time with that person. He's not going to influence me. She's not going to tell me to do anything wrong. Before we start to think that we've got it figured out, we have to understand that sin is so much greater than that. The power of sin is intense. So for us, with the moment we start to think, yeah, I'm strong enough to handle it on my own, is the moment that we're already defeated. Samson thought he could handle everything on his own because of his great strength. It turned out to be his biggest weakness. We have to remind ourselves we are not as strong as we think. 
Second thing, I will take ownership for my actions. Now listen, some of you said that. Some of you didn't want to say that because you're too cool. Or some of you didn't want to say that because you don't want to take ownership for your actions. Samson had zero accountability, no self-awareness. And yet still, still he continued to engage in the things that he should not have. We have to be willing to take ownership for the things that we are engaging in. Samson was the one who put those things uh, or put himself in those positions. I was the one who put myself in that position. You are the one in a lot of times where you put yourself in a position where you're struggling or you're receiving consequences. And in your own life, you start to think and look around and blame other people. That's just not the case. If we don't take ownership for our own actions, we will continue to fall into the same action over and over again. Last thing, and then we'll close with this. God is the source of my strength. Listen, this is the real deal. If we start to look into ourselves, if we start to look into a relationship, if we start to look into even people around us that that might be speaking good things in our lives, but we forget that there is a God who is a source of our strength, has gifted us each uniquely to, to carry out a specific purpose for him, then we will never realize what God has actually called us to do. You are not strong enough. You have to take ownership. And if we don't lean on God, we won't understand what he's called us to do. Samson was pretty messed up, and we would look at him and say, how, how could Samson ever do this? I would never do this. Guys, we are so much closer to living the life that Samson lived than we realize. And if we're not careful, we will struggle over and over again. We will fall into the same temptation, the same sin, over and over again. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you that God has given us each a way out. When we look at Samson, we look at a broken Savior. And the reality is that Samson is actually a parallel of what Jesus came to do. Samson had incredible strength, but he used it for himself. Samson lived in his sin, and Jesus came to die for our sins. So where Samson was a broken savior, Jesus restored that. Now listen, if you're in this room and you're struggling right now, you're struggling with sin, you're struggling with a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in, with friends that you know you shouldn't be spending time with, if you're struggling with a temptation that continues to keep at you, there is a way out. Samson looked to himself, but I'm imploring you to look to Jesus. Here's what I want to do. I want you to bow your heads with me. I want you to take some time, just a couple seconds. And if you're walking through something, if you're battling with the same thing over and over again, I want you to just real quick say, God, I want to stop struggling. Say, God, I don't want to be my own worst enemy. God, I want to rest in you as my strength. Commit to God that you'll own up to your mistakes. 
that you don't have to wait for someone to catch you, you don't have to wait for someone to call you out, that you'll recognize in your own life, this is something that I don't need to engage with, and I'm going to find the help that I need to get out of it. Because you may not realize it, but you'll get caught one day. And it is by God's grace that you'll get caught. What I love about the story of Samson is that regardless of all of the things that he walked through, that he did, God still gave him strength one last time. God redeemed Samson in the same way that he has offered redemption to each and every one of us. Father, I thank you for who you are in our lives. I thank you for what you've done for us. I thank you for this picture of Samson, God, that you would give us as an example of who you've called us to be. And Father, I pray that we would not take the same path of Samson to where we would lean into the sins that continue to get after us. God, I pray that we would have students who would fight against the temptation. God, you've given us each a way out. And God, I pray that we would realize that. God, give us the strength to run to you when we are hurting, when we are struggling. Give us the strength to surround ourselves with people who would encourage us to engage with you. Father, be with us tonight. If there are people we need to apologize to, things that we need to share, sins we need to confess to our parents, to our mentors, accountability, Father, I pray that you would impress it in our hearts so we wouldn't struggle alone. God, be with us tonight. May we apply these truths to our lives, we ask in your name.